0: Hello and welcome back to Coming Home Network Presents, where we have conversations about the kinds of questions people wrestle with when they're exploring the Catholic faith and wondering if they should uh, be Catholic themselves. Uh, Today we get to talk about Lent, and for people coming from outside the church, that can be one of those things that's a little scary, a little confusing, like why do Catholics do this thing every year? Um, And we're going to get into that uh, with a couple of people who have some very interesting perspectives on the question. Uh, First things first. I'm Matt Swam, Director of Outreach for the Coming Home Network. If you are someone who has questions and wants to reach out, please visit us at chnetwork.org. If you're looking to connect with a community of people um, who are all sharing these questions and experiences together, we have an online community. Um, you can find it. Uh, it's at community.chnetwork.org. And all this is made possible through generous people who support the work and mission of the Coming Home Network. And if you want to join that crew, you can go to chnetwork.org slash donate. As usual, I'm excited to get a couple guys together who I know, but don't know each other very well at all. Uh, Rob Marco and Pat Flynn have both shared their stories on the journey home. Uh, They've also both done written uh, versions of their stories that are available at chnetwork.org slash story. Um, Quick bios, Rob has a blog called Potter Familius. It's fatherofthefamily.blogspot.com. You may have seen his stuff at Catholic Stand or Catholic World Report or some other places. Pat, uh, you may know through Chronicles of Strength. He's also been on Catholic Answers Live a bunch. Uh, You can also find his work at philosophyforthepeople.com. Rob and Pat, thanks for accepting the invite.
1: A joy to be here, Matt. Thanks for having
2: us. Thank you, Matt. All
0: right. So uh, as I like to do with these topics, and the topic today is Lent, self-discipline, self-deprivation, maybe the anti-consumer thing, right? The anti-materialism that comes along with the Lenten experience. I like to know where people were before they became Catholic on this question. So Rob, we'll start with you, uh, because this is actually how you and I kind of got to know one another is because I know a little bit of your ascetic background and your attempts to seek it. If you could talk a little bit about how you sought, you know, paths of like self-denial and, and self-discipline prior to becoming Catholic.
2: Sure. Yeah. It started in my, um, my teenage years in high school. I think a lot of it, part of my conversion story was talking about how I would go off on these solo backpacking trips when I was like 16 or 17. I'd have my dad drop me off at the, um, like three hours upstate and, and then come, this is before cell phones and everything. So he, I tell him, meet me here three days later. And, um, I think really my, I don't know, subconsciously, maybe I was preparing for the apocalypse or the, or, <laughs> or something, but, um, really, I think a lot of that was just trying to test myself, test my self-reliance. And, um, you know, a lot of that. Experience taught me how, how actually weak I was, um, how, you know, dependent on God I was. And I didn't even know God at the time, but had a lot of, uh, really neat conversion ex- examples during that time of just being totally dependent on God and not realizing it, being totally helpless. And then, uh, having some miraculous events happen that really brought me to explore Jesus Christ and, uh, coming to faith in general and then finding the Catholic Church in college. So that's kind of where it started and then had a lot of developments along the way. But uh, I'd like to hear Pat's story as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, let's let's get into that, too, Pat, because this is this is there's gonna be some major overlap here.
1: Yeah. uh, All right. So short version is uh, so I was brought up in a not religious environment at all, Uh, was interested in philosophy from a young age. But going down that path actually led me to a, a pretty naturalistic, atheistic worldview for a long time. And I sort of looked at the range of options, uh, for happiness there and, and tried them all out, right? Hey, maybe if I look a certain way, I'll be happy. Uh, maybe if I acquire certain things, I'll be happy. Uh, none of those quite did it though. Um, maybe if I meet the right people, maybe if I know the right things, I'll be happy. Uh, really did try and explore pretty much all the different avenues of materialism. And, but it's like both philosophical materialism and materialism in the consumerism sense. <laughs> Couldn't be more materialistic, really. I guess it's interesting. Uh, and yeah, sort of. Uh, towards my mid to late 20s, I had uh, something of a pretty profound existential crisis where everything kind of fell apart. Uh, You know, it it turned out, hey, all this effort I'm putting into looking in a certain way in in my business and trying to have things and acquire things, and also pretty much everything I I, I sort of assumed or believed philosophically kind of falling apart, uh, led to me just wanting to fundamentally uh, change everything about myself, right? <laughs> and reconsider everything. Mm-hmm. And that itself led to a very long, windy journey, which I've shared before in The Coming Home, so I won't repeat all of it now, but it it led to where I am right now as a Catholic on this show. So we can go into any more details as it becomes relevant.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so there are a couple of relevant things that you guys conveniently skipped over, but I'm going to pin you to the wall Let's on Let's do it. Both of you to the wall on them. <clears throat> I'll start with you, Rob, because you conveniently left out the fact that part of this journey involved music and specifically like punk and metalcore and underground hardcore music. And in that world, there's this whole movement that, um, that you and I both had lots of friends in, uh, known as straight edge. Right. Uh, and a lot of people, when they think about punk rock or whatever, they associate, you know, drinking and drugs and promiscuity whatever. But like, this was a, this was a subset of the punk rock community that really was trying to battle against that and find self discipline. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and where it played into your into your journey.
2: That's actually a good point. I did just just it's not that I blocked it out. I just uh, conveniently forgot it. Um, but yeah, Straight Edge, uh in the in the like late uh, late nineties was was kind of like a way of having a a, a moral discipline without the religion. Um, and because I didn't have a, a, like a faith background or I did I wasn't raised to know Jesus Christ or, or anything like that. Um, it was attractive to me because I, I had kind of been attracted. I applied to West Point um, to for the military academy. I was kind of always attracted to this discipline that I never really had. I was always kind of like it was attractive to me and I, I desired it, but I, I just was so weak-willed. And um, in general, I, I'm just kind of a uh, like lazy. And <laughs> so I think that had an attraction to me. Um, but basically, yeah, it was kind of like what you said, like Straight Edge was a um, reaction against the punk rock scene that was very decadent and very morally, um, kind of just, uh, degrading. Um, but they didn't have, the straight edge guys didn't have any, like, um, besides no drinking, no drugs and no promiscuity and, and hardcore music, there was no, like, higher power or there was no, nothing to base that in. So really when I, I started practicing that and it wasn't really long, I was in the straight edge movement, maybe a year or two, um, when I became Catholic, I realized that we have these kind of ascetic disciplines that are founded on Jesus Christ and, and the Gospels and the the saints. And it's a much more solid footing because a lot of guys who go straight edge, they don't, you know, they, it's called losing losing your edge. You know, you, over the years, you just, there's nothing to stake it on. But I've been Catholic for about 25 years now. And at first I've had a lot of fads, a lot of um, things that have phases that have gone through, but Catholicism and, and my relationship with Jesus Christ and And God the Father is not one of those, but by grace, you know, because a lot of these things come and go. But, you know, that grace kind of sustains us and gives meaning to these kind of disciplines that we take on to achieve a a greater sense of, um, you know, both our interior life and our spiritual lives and our relationship with God can really be furthered furthered when we um, detach ourselves from the material things. But they really did start. I won't go into this too much, Matt, but this guy who was a Harry Krishna uh frontman for this band, he would he would have these lectures. Ray Capo, on the, yeah. Like, yeah, Ray Capo. He would talk about these um the spiritual realm and detachment from material things. So really my my journey to Christianity and eventually Catholicism started with uh this Harry Krishna, you know, hardcore singer who would talk about like, you know, this is not all there is in the world. That was my that was my gateway drug into you know, that this material materialism and material world is not all that there is here.
0: Yeah. This is really just a ploy, a ploy to get Ray Capo one of these days when he's Googling right. himself to find himself on a Catholic <laughs> podcast and think what is happening. SEO. Um, <laughs> uh, but <clears throat> so, so Pat, um one of the things I, I really think is important about your journey is you deal a lot with like health and fitness. And I would bet, um, I haven't done all the screening on this, but I bet you like a 10th of the people who click on this podcast the ad that plays before it is going to be somebody showing like this one thing the supplement that you got to drink today to make yourself like perfect or like this one way that you can get shredded in like 25 days don't or never eat this, eat this food one again. food
1: it's a picture of a banana right right. Yeah.
0: right uh so i mean in in your world you know where there's so much emphasis on fitness and diet and exercise mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about how that um in some cases with you know it can almost be like a religious fervor that people attach to those kinds of desires to discipline.
1: Yeah, so I want to mention a music thing one real quick because music was a big part of my upbringing. I play guitar since I was very young. I was, in fact, I was never disciplined at anything in my life when I was young except for music and guitar. Which, as is a it- matter of fact, you just did a Van Halen tribute solo
0: that I saw on your Facebook.
1: That's right, Page. Mm-hmm. It's
0: it's quite good. Well,
1: quite th- good. thank you. Well, it's uh, the point I was making was that, um, yeah, I was I was super lazy as a kid. I actually got very overweight, and that will tie into my fitness journey here. Uh, but I was very disciplined at music, which goes to show like discipline isn't some like magic. Quality that just spreads across your entire life. You know, in fitness, you see this all the time. You can have somebody who's a high performing CEO, extremely disciplined in one area of their life, and morbidly obese, right? Um, so it's something to think about, right? Uh, but no, uh, you're, you're right. Uh, you know, for me, getting into fitness, it first started from a very negative place. I was overweight. I was kind of the fat kid in my friends group. Didn't really like that. Um, if you're like me, you probably don't like being unhappy. So I wanted to try and change that. And I got into martial arts. Martial arts was my sort of entryway to fitness, had a really great coach, actually, not in a in a, I don't know if he was spiritual or religious or anything at all. But he taught me about lifting and exercise and helped me to get in shape and gave me some really good principles starting out. Uh, but very quickly, you enter into fitness circles, and this certainly happened for me, is that fitness, uh, for many people, isn't just a part of their life. It's all of their life. They think that this is the path to enlightenment, the path to happiness. And what is this? Usually a certain body fat percentage or, or muscle size or performance, right? Once I reach this goal, I will finally be happy. But the problem is... For any, and I'm sure this will resonate with a lot of people. Is like the closer you get to what you think the promised land is, the unhappier you are, right? You know, this with like people with, especially people who uh, pursue uh, figure competitions and, and really low levels of body fat, uh, they actually have increasingly distorted images of themselves the leaner they get, right? The more amazing they look, many, uh, much of the time, uh, the more awful they look to themselves until they can step back away for a long enough time and realize, oh, actually, I looked pretty good. Again, something to uh, it's it's actually the same like across the board for I would say almost any material pursuit, Uh, even in music. uh, You know, almost the better you get at something, uh, the more critical you are of yourself, and the more almost the more agonizing it gets. The less happy you become. All right, I mean, this is this is this actually helps to explain why people who are so far ahead. In the world, in these sort of material pursuits can actually be so deeply miserable. You look at these people and you think, how could somebody who's that amazing or that good at something be that miserable? But if you've ever really pushed yourself that far and tried to find like ultimate human happiness and something like that, uh, you actually see how that's entirely possible, right? And I, I, I followed that path. I, I fell into those traps in many different areas, not just fitness, but, but business or whatever. It really does become your religion in the sense that you think that there is some final end. To be achieved in these pursuits, that if you achieve that end, you will finally be happy. The problem is that's never the case. And the more you pursue it, it's sort of this uh, vicious, vicious self perpetuating cycle uh, of agony, in fact. Uh, And these, I'm not saying any of these things are bad. I think, I think they're actually good in the right appropriate context. But when they become the end all be all in and of themselves outside of an appropriate religious context, that's when you can take something that that might otherwise be virtuous and it becomes quite vicious, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So there's there's so many directions I could go with this, but one of the things I want to point out here is that you guys both had these epiphanies, as it were, when you were young adults. Um, my whole turn towards the Catholic Church came as a young adult, and who are the people who the church thinks uh, is constantly trying to cater to because they think, oh, we got to like loosen the the disciplines and we got to like dumb it down and make it easier so we can get back these young men in their 20s and so that are leaving the church when in fact like it was these eras of our life when all three of us were trying to find something to like to grow us we wanted to commit ourselves to something we wanted to like dedicate ourselves to something and in your case rob you have a straight edge ethos that you were briefly attracted to it has the rules but doesn't have like a doesn't have a why behind it. In some ways, that's what people think Catholicism is. They think it's rules with no why. Um, and, you know, Pat, you talk about fitness. Like, this is a temporary thing. Like, no matter how fit you get, you've got a window before you get old, <laughs> right? There's just, this is a temporary thing, All right? So, So with that in the backdrop, let's put it in the proper context, because I think this is a really interesting way to set up how to think about Lent and what the church is trying to say to us. Uh, by every year from Ash Wednesday through Holy Week saying, okay, we're all going to do this thing together. We're all not all going to do the exact same thing in the exact same way, but we're all going to do something. We're all going to give something up, right? We're all going to learn to fast. We're all going to learn to go into the desert. We're all going to get a little quieter, a little bit more disciplined. So we'll start with you, Rob. Um, discovering Lent and the way that the church approaches these practices, like how did that kind of help put the pieces together that were missing in the other sort of self-discipline pursuits you were following
2: well uh one of my favorite books is the imitation of christ by thomas a compass and um just based even based just on the title even if you've never read the book we seek as christians to imitate christ in all things so we subject ourselves to his to his um as as disciples to a master and that that kind of ethos had had some attraction to me because i you know kind of practiced buddhism and things like that that there was this idea of um this asceticism is not something that's um, confined to Christianity. I mean, you have Hindu ascetics, you have Buddhist ascetics, you have um, Jewish ascetics, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not just, Christians don't have a, um, it's not confined just to Christianity, but scripturally when, when Christ goes into the the desert for 40 years, I think, you know, if you're coming from another Protestant um, tradition or maybe no, no tradition, but you've read the, the gospels that, that was, a formative part of Jesus's, like, pre-ministry, like, before he, before he went out into the ministry of, of the world and doing, um, you know, preaching the kingdom and bring, and healing the sick and stuff, he prepared himself, uh, in, in the, in the desert. He fasted, um, which again, it's not confined to Christianity, but, um, Jesus himself fasted to, um, to prepare. He was tempted. He was tested. And, you know, it's, it's constantly throughout scripture you see that the, you know, God is, Those whom he loves, he disciplines. And often he disciplines, um, through taking things away from you. And we kind of see it as like in our, in our kind of baby mode, like of, you know, crying for the rattle or the, the binky, that this is a bad thing. Um, but really God takes these things away from us in order to become more dependent on him. And so I think that the, um, you know, when you're thinking about Lent and the 40 days that we, we take during that Time—it's really a time of preparation, but it it imitates Christ in the desert um, during this period, where we're learning how to be better disciples, where we're learning how to to deny ourselves, kind of like what Pat was saying about how these things aren't going to make you happy. The only thing that makes gives you the contentment that you seek at the well that doesn't run dry is Christ, and uh, if we're going to follow him, we need to kind of imitate him in not only in his life but in his death. And so, putting to death those passions. Um, that's really part of the purpose of Lent. It's not just a, a prescription of rules or through do's and do nots or not eating chocolate. These are things that you have to understand in the Catholic context that might not make sense to Protestants in terms of it is efficacious to give something up when it's offering up your suffering for the benefit of another. Um, but all these kind of are puzzle pieces that fit into the Catholic worldview of, of how do we make sense of suffering? How do we Grow closer to Christ, not just in the good times, but the times that are hard for us. So I think that's just some some basic things to understand about Lent. That it's I actually I actually look forward to Lent more than any other um, season in the church. It's by far my favorite liturgical season. I know that might sound like super weird, but it's by far.
0: I think because we
2: all know we need it. I think we 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 come through Christmas and the New Year's like kind of. Fat, lazy, and and uh, you know, kind of just tired of ourselves. And then Lent always seems to come at just the right time. Now, I also will say in after college and after my conversion, I was Mardi Gras was my favorite. So I would always <laughs> throw big Mardi Gras parties, Fat Tuesday parties, and we we drink and we would eat and we have a good time. But as I've gotten older, I've I've kind of I think that's still unimportant to have that that feasting and fasting cycle, but really getting serious about Lent and even in the pre-Lenten like. In the traditional calendar, the Septuagissement, like this preparation for the actual practice of asceticism during Lent is has become more important to me the past few years as well,
0: yeah, Pat, you had something to add to that,
1: yeah, so Rob makes the excellent true point that you know asceticism isn't you know Catholicism doesn't have a monopoly on any there's christianity and and like Rob, I first discovered certain ascetic practices uh, outside of christianity you know when i was kind of exploring the range of philosophical and religious options i spent a lot of time with stoicism and, and buddhism especially zen buddhism right but what they lacked and this is what rob hinted at uh was that adequate grounding right that that deeper really metaphysical grounding of like well what is this all ultimately orienting me towards and i never found uh very satisfactory answers within any of those frameworks. In fact, within any framework outside of Christianity. I'd say I'd say Hinduism's kind of like a distant second, maybe, right? <laughs> but not definitely not Buddhism. Uh definitely not Stoicism. And for me, for somebody who, you know, has always been interested in the wider philosophical questions, the disciplines just kind of hanging in midair, apart from sort of some deeper reason or why, uh that was always deeply unsatisfying to me. Catholicism, it grounds it all, it puts it all in perspective and orientation that there is a human nature. There is Uh, a determinate end for us, union with God that's meant to be attained by acquiring a certain moral character and conforming ourselves to Christ. Um, And true freedom, true freedom, right, is something like disciplining our desires to make the good at first accessible and then effortless. And that's where the disciplines come in. That's what discipline is all about, right, is to achieve that true freedom. In fact, there's, and like, Matt, you mentioned this before, like, Modern men are looking for that, right? This is why people like Jordan Peterson are getting so much attention or Jocko Willink. He's very popular. He's got a book that's literally called Discipline Equals Freedom. That's like the most Catholic title I've ever read of a book. Right? That's, that's what it's all about, right? You discipline the desires to to make the good at first accessible and then effortless, right? And for Catholics, disciplines are always sort of meant to kiss doctrine, so to speak, right? They're always meant to sort of orient us or dispose us toward that what is... Ultimately, really good for us. They are not arbitrary rules at all. If you're, if you're reading them that way, you're just not going deep enough. And not only that, but having that deeper grounding provides a deeper motivation. There's when I fast now, you know, I used to fast, you know, all the time, you know, before I was religious because it was a good way to not have as many calories and lose body fat, right? But that's like a pretty fleeting motivation. Whereas if fasting is now tied to things like temperance and developing a certain character, and helping you to really live more fully that spiritual life and conform yourself to Christ, that is a much more profound uh, source of of motivation. Uh, it's so much more significant in that way. And, it, it, you know, in in a sense, it's, its I don't want to say it's easier because none of this is, is, is every, ever easy. But when it gets tough, it's much easier to keep pushing through the difficulties when you have that deeper grounding than, you know, just wanting to get girls to talk to you at the gym or something like that, right? mm mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, again, another fleeting thing. And it wouldn't have worked for me anyway, even I still, I
1: still have this so. face. So, I mean, it's like, what's, I mean, what do there's about only so that? much you can do right. with it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Try and cover it with hair and what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. But,
0: mm-hmm. but to, to tap into this, and I don't want to, I don't want to go down the Jordan Peterson rabbit hole. I don't like, I don't watch Jordan Peterson because I've got the church fathers and I've got. John of the Cross and mm-hmm. I've got I mean but it's amazing how many people I mean Jordan Peterson's not a Christian. I mean he's kind of in that space of like trying to figure out what he is. He's ancient right? his but way, he gets it looks treated. Like him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. He's but he's treated like a pastor mm-hmm. by a lot of people. Like for some people, he might as well be there like Joel Osteen. Like right. that's how people have kind of gravitated toward that because that's how hungry they are for for this idea of of discipline and 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 responsibility. Uh but Pat, I teased you about this before, but I, I am gonna bring Ayn Rand into this because this is where I think you also have a uniquely Catholic perspective because in um, in the world of straight edge, as you were saying, in the world of of Buddhism, in the world of a lot of different kinds of asceticism, secular asceticism, even like something like CrossFit, right? Um, or, you know, any diet fad, like you are relying on willpower, um, right? And that, you know, whole like subjectivism, you know, th- th- or objectivism rather, like this idea that it's personal responsibility. It is me and my efforts. Uh, whereas, when you get into the realm of how the church talks about fasting, you're dealing with an interplay between, like, your will and the Lord's will and, like, relying on grace there. So, I mean, you're this is an entirely different kind of equation when it comes to the ascetic practices um, of life. Since I invoked Ayn Rand, Pat, I'll let you comment on that first.
1: <laughs> sure. So, you know, Ayn Rand, famous for her objectivism, right? Which is not a very serious philosophy. You know, once you get into academic circles, you'll find Kantians and Thomas. But oddly, you don't find many Randians. Why? Because she's she's just not that, that great. Um, but she had some interesting ideas that, that tend to influence young men. And I was one of those young men, right? For whatever reason, young men like, uh, Ayn Rand, probably because there's some grit there, right? Um, young men are looking for, for grit, uh, sort of toughness. And she, she conveys that a lot. Now, a lot of her principles are based on selfishness, right? Um, and it relates to another sort of, um, interesting school of thought that I was, uh, you know, enmeshed in with materialism, which is this idea of psychological egoism. Like we only ever do things, right? Because it, it's, it will fulfill our desires. So there's no such thing as, as altruism, right? Uh, and that can be a, a, a sort of, um, disconcerting thought, right? And, and especially if you want to think that there is something, um, like altruism in the world. Uh, and I think Catholicism, and this will relate to everything you said, actually helps to solve that, right? And it helps to solve it in, in this sort of way, right? God made us with a nature that is meant to be happy. We're meant to pursue our own happiness. However, what will fulfill us truly and make us happy is pursuing the good of other people as well. So there's a complementarity there that somebody like Ayn Rand totally misses. In fact, I think what she often prescribes is contrary to human flourishing whereas catholicism will recognize yes we're meant to pursue our own happiness but that happiness consists in helping other people to achieve their happiness as well and that's how we should see things like how these disciplines will will tie in right and how the disciplines are not just about us it's about a wider community as well a wider spiritual community which is very much uh Different, uh, than how Ayn Rand would, would see the world. She's sort of radically individualistic, where Catholicism is radically holistic, right? That God forms a community of people and the disciplines are not just for us, but also for those around us. So that's, it's a little tie in with Rand, I suppose, right? Well,
0: but, but mm-hmm. isn't it so interesting, though, mm-hmm. that the, the, the Lent is not merely a time of fasting, right? It's a time of fasting and prayer and a time of fasting and prayer and almsgiving, right? Like it's built into the system. Right. Like, The church is saying at the same time, deny yourself and look to God and take care of your neighbor, right? It's all kind of like this, this, this whole package. Um, Rob, I wonder like how, how that's kind of come into play in in your spiritual journey of realizing that fasting and and self discipline is not just about the self.
2: Yeah. Well, there's actually a great quote. I'm just going to pull it up on my phone because, um, it, it was, uh, one of the desert fathers, um, uh, Moses the Black. It, this is a great quote when I came across it. It says, You fast, but Satan does not eat. You labor fervently, but Satan never sleeps. The only dimension with which you can outperform Satan is by acquiring humility, for Satan has no humility. And when I think, when I read the epistles of, you know, when St. Paul talks, you know, that kind of, we've heard it so many times at weddings and things about you know, that love is patient, love is kind, and love actually, you know, translated as charity. You know, if you don't have charity in your spiritual life, all of these, we're not stoics, we're not, um, you know, we're not, uh, people that just do these things for the sake of doing them. If it's not leading you to greater charity, um, you really have to rethink your practices, um, because I, I I just find that the motivation for fasting is sometimes just as important as what you're actually doing and keeping yourself in check. Because pride is one of the most pernicious sins, and that can really come into play when you're you're disciplining your body and you're um, you're doing all the right things. But Satan can also use that against you by puffing yourself up to say, "Look at what I've done under my own power." And usually, if in God's grace, he'll usually take you down a few notches during those times um to just keep you keep you in check um but yeah i mean i i've 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 read rand as well um i i, I think the jordan peterson phenomenon is kind of like interesting because like you said um i i attend i, I don't not to get into liturgy wars but i attend a, a traditional uh latin mass and it's kind of the what you were talking about before matt about how the young people the young people <laughs> are they're they're flocking to we these, can call them the young people because yeah, we are not young we're not we're not anymore not anymore <laughs> um they're coming to these communities because they want to be fed. They, want, they don't want fluff. They don't want to be relevant. Um, they don't want the church to become just another NGO. They want to be fed with the gospel, with um, not shying away from the things that are hard for true worship and things like that. So it's, it's not a liturgical issue. I'm just saying in the context of attracting young people, whether it's Jordan Peterson or Stoics or Andrew Huberman or whatever, I really think especially men are, are looking for that because they know that, you know when you look at yourself and you're addicted to pornography you're overeating you're you're out of shape you don't you don't feel good about yourself and and part of the christian walk is is to love your neighbor as yourself so there has to be some self love not in a attached kind of way but in, in a way that recognizes that you're a child of god and that he wants you to be the best that you can be in order to um to live for others
0: yeah so there's there's so many things in what the two of you just said uh one of them um as you're talking about you have, how you have to have, have discipline and charity go together, there's one of the the famous passages that's, that we hear every Lent um, from Isaiah 58, uh, where the Lord is talking to his people and says, On the day of your fasting, you do as you please, you exploit all your workers, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in hitting each other with wicked fists, and you expect your voice to be heard. <laughs> he says, this is the kind of fast that I want, that you loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, share your food with the hungry, and, and that sort of thing. Um The church wants us to connect those concepts. Um But the other thing, too, is this concept of freedom, and this is something I think, Rob, you pointed out really well, like, why do people want these disciplines? Because they know that their addictions, their passions are making them miserable. What's so interesting is that in the catechism, uh there's a whole bunch of really great stuff on free will but it's at the beginning of the third section of the catechism and it's under the section on human dignity which is a fascinating place to put the discussion of free will and true freedom because what it says is that when we exercise true freedom it is really tapping into what it means to really be human and this is paragraph 1744 which i hope brings a little light to like why this all matters in the context of lint Paragraph 1744 says this, it says, freedom is the power to act or not to act. And so to perform deliberate acts of one's own, freedom attains perfection in its acts when directed towards God, the sovereign good. And I think a person like you're describing, Rob, who's controlled by lust, controlled by appetites, um, swayed by commercials, uh, you know, obsessed with how they look and feels the pressure to like fit in and look right and be popular like that. They understand that that something about that isn't free. I wonder if maybe who wants to go first on talking about how like this is supposed to cultivate a real spirit of true freedom in
1: us. Yeah, so think about it like this. If you have a plant that's sort of bound down because you wired it, you would say that that plant is is not free, right? Whereas if it's just allowed to grow, it'll typically grow in a way uh, that you would say, okay, it's free to grow, right? And clearly the plant doesn't have free will like we do. Rather, we just feel like it's sort of more actualized. It's a more excellent instance of what it's meant to be, right? And that's what the catechism is getting at. We have free will, which is really just the ability to consider a space of reasons, right? Uh, and any sort of motive we have for action is never completely determining. It doesn't determine us. There's only one thing that can determine us completely, and that's the good itself, which is God, right? So this is why once we get to heaven and have God face-to-face, we won't be able to turn away from God because we are completely determined to that. But anything that isn't God is infinitely less than God, it's something that we can turn away from and choose something else. And, and free will sort of resides in that space, right? So to the extent that we, that we sort of self-determine in a way that we become more, to use a, a Bill and Ted phrase, uh, more excellent, right? Uh, and for us, that actually means more rational because we're rational beings. So this, the sort of excellence that is relevant to us is excellence concerning rationality, when we act more rational, and what does acting rational mean? Well, it means acting in a way that we act on right desire, desires that are ordered towards our true good, right? And so when we act well, when we act rationally, we're acting in ways that sort of like the plant that's just allowed to, to grow in the most excellent way. We grow, increase in being in the most excellent way. And, and, and the being that's increased is, is a sort of being of the virtues, temperance, fortitude, um, justice, charity, you know, love And, of course, there's the theological virtues as well. So that's the sense of, of freedom that the Catholic Church is trying to articulate. And I think that's the right sense of freedom. It's a freedom, uh, you would call that like a terminal freedom, right? And our nature is such that we're meant to achieve our terminal freedom through our freedom of choice. The problem, of course, is that we do have freedom of choice. So we can fail to attain our terminal freedom because we can choose badly. We can act irrationally right or we can let our appetites and passions disorder us and we all know that's true because we've all been there many of us are still we're all still there in some extent right right and just hopefully with you know god's grace we'll eventually be completely free of it uh but yeah that's that's what you know the catholic church up to when it's talking about true freedom it doesn't mean just having complete autonomy to do whatever you want that's 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 nonsense that's a mess we've seen where we've got that it's 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 hitting an end the only end that can perfectly satisfy us, which is union with God, and we are creatures that can sort of contingently self-determine ourselves, and there are there are right and wrong decisions that we can make, and the church is there to kind of help guide us and give us the means, right? Not just like show us what the end is, but actually help get us there too, and, and Matt, that brings up the very complicated topic of grace and freedom, but God gives us what we need there, the sacraments, you know, fundamentally, right, and the the... the the moral guidance of the church and the life of prayer and the community and all of that it's it's, it's you know god knew what he was doing he set that up for us yeah
0: mm-hmm. yeah i went to confession the other day and i felt so weak and ashamed and attached and that's why i knew i had to go and i came out and i felt like I felt like i just came out of the gym man i felt strong right. Right? i felt mm-hmm. like grace infused like mm-hmm. there's a sense in which you know i came out and was empowered uh by the the tools that the church has been given to go out and fight that battle a little bit better this time. So, um, Rob, did you have something you wanted to add to that?
2: Yeah, I think um, I when I was at I spent a summer at a, monast- a Benedictine monastery because I was discerning religious life. Um, shortly after I converted, when I was eighteen, and then nineteen, I started kind of packaging monasticism with my with the Catholic faith that I had to be a monk and discerned that for about ten years. But one of the monks um, during the one of the evening talks gave the analogy. And I realized years later it was Chesterton, um, just this idea of children playing on a mountaintop in the fog or something to that effect. And they had a fence around them. But when they didn't have the fence, they all kind of huddled in fear because they didn't know where the edge was. And when the fence was put up, they played freely. So I, I always go back to that analogy because it was like Pat was talking about with the f- true freedom depends on these kind of, kind of um, boundaries that we put into place. And I actually Romans eight and Romans seven is like one of my, I mean, I could just spend a lifetime considering that idea of like, we did, we end up doing that, which we don't want to do because of concupiscence, but the good I do, I don't do. So I think we really wrestle with that back and forth of like, how much is, is my own will and my own self-determination, like Pat was saying, and how much of it is God's grace. And in the Catholic tradition, you know, we have this cooperation with grace. It's not total depravity. It's not um, faith alone. It's faith and works. It's you know faith and reason. We have a lot of the, the ands instead of the ors um of of how the the relationship between grace and, and the will works. But at the end of the day you still have to exercise the will um to do the to do the work to to, to uh forgo the meal or to you know love your wife or to say no to you know, um, whatever sin might be attracting you, but we do that through the will, but it's aided by grace, and like Tad was saying, God gives you everything you need um in the sacraments the and sacramentals and the tools in the toolbox, the spiritual toolbox to achieve our end, which is you know from the Baltimore catechism, you know wh- why did God make us? He made us to know us to know him, love him, and serve him, to be him, happy with him in this world and in the next, so I think that that orientation of the will in the right way, God will step in and, and aid us in that as long as we orient our hearts in the right direction and we're guided by the magisterial teaching of the church. And that that I kind of view as a fence that keeps the boundaries so that we can have that inner freedom and not have to always be cowering in fear of damnation. You know.
0: Yeah, I've been talking to my RCIA class about this. If there's one thing, like you may disagree agree with the church on like a couple of little things here, but the church has human beings figured out. Like the church knows what a human being is and how they work. Like the church is an expert on this stuff. And It's just amazing. Like how many layers of, of this, the church understands. So the church says chocolate's not bad, right? Um, hot sauce isn't bad. I gave that up one year for Lent, right? Uh, some of these things aren't bad, but if you can say, I like this thing, but I'm going to hold back from it, right? You've just said, something to yourself about the 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 ability to say no to something right you've trained yourself in saying no <laughs> you know to something and if you can say something say no to that then like maybe you can say no to something bigger when it when it comes along um that being said uh, there are a lot of people who've kind of gotten the philosophical and theological and anthropological reasons for all this stuff to this point and maybe this is their first lent that they're going into Um, And maybe they've got some wiring, not unlike some of the guys in this panel right now. And they're thinking, all right, it's my first Lent. I'm going to eat nothing but almonds and drink purified water. And I'm going to put um, a rock in my sketchers. And I'm going to wear sandpaper under my shirt. And I'm going to sleep two hours a night and take cold showers so I can have a good
1: Lent this first time around. Use the discipline stick too, for sure.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. So like, what would you say to somebody who like really wants to go in full blast and maybe to get them to sort of pump the brakes and, and, and do some baby steps on this? Rob, I feel like you have like lots of lived experience here.
2: Yeah. Do you, I, just because of my own weakness, I think um, there's, um, I think because God is so merciful and, you know, God is a just judge. Uh, he, you know, will he be angry every day as it says in the scripture, but um, he's also a merciful God. So my, like, practical advice is to kind of start small, um, and start not necessarily easy, but don't take on too much. There was, um, a story of, a, I think it was Saint Alphonsus, uh, no, I'm sorry, um, Saint Aloysius, whose spiritual director was Saint Robert Bellarmine. And Saint Aloysius, as a teenager, took on all these really hard mortifications and was really uh, fervent about it. And Saint Robert Bellarmine was a spiritual director. He said, stop that and listen to me and go into the hospitals and serve the sick and dying. Because St. Aloysius was really repulsed by that idea of like um, sick people and the poor and things like that. So as a wise spiritual director, uh, Robert Bellarmine knew what he needed to please God. And his mortifications were getting in the way of that because they were self-imposed. So I think it's important to take some time to pray about it, to to really to spend some time maybe in adoration or or just in your personal prayer space in your home. And ask God, what what do you, what do you want from me to grow closer to You, and that might look a little bit different than what you might have self imposed in terms of giving up uh, chocolate or hot sauce or whatever it is. None of those are bad things, but I think whatever the, to the degree that it takes you away from yourself and and and, and leads you to emptying yourself for the sake of others and for God is is kind of a better path. But just you know. Practical advice is maybe just just smart start small, because just from a very pragmatic level, you overcome a little a little obstacle, you get greater confidence. Um if you start out with too much stuff, and I've I've done this, you know, I, I speak from experience, you start out with too much stuff and then you feel like a failure after this day two. And God could use that, you know, for his glory as well, but it might be more advantageous to just do a couple little things and then add things later, maybe. I don't know, Pat, but Pat isn't it what you,
0: th- that, isn't that the most practical advice you give to the fitness consulting people too? I that's
1: brilliant. I mean, it's brilliant. Um, it's, and that's exactly right. You should start prayerfully. Uh, obviously. And there's always a nice balance to be struck here, right? Uh, because you can get too lazy. And if you don't discipline yourself, God will discipline you. Believe me. Uh, <laughs> I've been on that end. <laughs> um, however, if you, if you, if you take on too much, especially if it's arbitrary too, uh, I think you will fail. And I think God will let you fail to teach you an important lesson that this was, this was not what you needed. Right. And to avoid becoming prideful, right. This is, this is the fundamental aim of God is is to make you a saint. Right. So, uh, you should expect failure, right. If you start moving in, in certain directions of becoming prideful and stuff like that. And again, I've learned that lesson the hard way. So I think the best thing to do is start exactly as Rob said, prayerfully, really ask God as sincerely as you can. God, Help me, you know, uh, help me to grow closer to you. What what should I be focusing on, right? And a lot of loving God is loving others and being honest with yourself about how you can better um, that, you know, giving up chocolate, that might be fine for some people. But I know for me, I have tendencies of being a workaholic, right? Um, so a, a harder thing for me to give up is to shut the laptop uh, at a certain time uh, per day and go, you know, spend more time. With my kids and stuff like that, it's much more meaningful, uh, especially like it's it's kind of easy for me to like fat. I've been fasting for years and years. Like it's not hard. It's just not hard for me to give up <laughs> like a piece of chocolate. Right. Um, yeah, it's just it. I still like chocolate actually quite a bit. Um, but I found, you know, uh, through, you know, trial, much trial and error. Right. That uh, some some things are much more difficult to give up for me. Um, and they're things that I almost conveniently kind of ignore. Uh, when I'm considering the the things that, uh, conveniently, as it were, right, uh, the things I, I, I should be giving up for Lent. And I think the only way to kind of discern what is going to be most fruitful for you is to spend that time, right, with Scripture in adoration and in prayer before you begin, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And I, I will say, too, Matt, there is sometimes a tendency in some parishes or some communities where, you know, we're not going to give anything up this year, but we're going to add something, like we're going to be more nice, nicer to Our neighbor, or we're going to take on an extra charity. And I think that there's, there's a good intention there, but I think it does miss a little bit of the Lent is not supposed to be comfortable. When I, you know, in the boxing world, it was like, if you're, if you're, if you're not hurting, you're not doing it right. You know, (laughs) you know, when you're doing like, you know, when you're on the bag and your, your, your hands are about to fall off, that's actually the purpose of your training. So I think it's a good way to, do, do both. I mean, it's not just like adding something with, and, and neglecting to mortify yourself. And it's not just strict mortification without charity. So. Yeah.
1: It's like, it's, it's like dieting. Well, uh, I'm hungry. Well, well, yeah. Yeah. You're supposed to be, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're not hungry. It's not, you're not doing it, right? So yeah, I completely agree with Lent. Like if, if what you, if what you are sacrificing doesn't feel like a sacrifice, um, that might be, that might be an indicator, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, there's this, uh, story, um, in Second Chronicles, or maybe it's Second Samuel. I can't remember where it is. Uh, but David is coming in and he's got to offer the sacrifice and someone gives him, you know, the stuff to do the sacrifice. And he's like, well, let me pay you for these, you know, animals we're going to sacrifice. And they're like, no, just take it. You're the king. He's like, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which cost me nothing. Right. And that's, that verse is kind of always like stuck with me. Um, even as an evangelical, like, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which cost me nothing. Like, what's, then it's not a sacrifice, uh, not, not, not in any real and meaningful way. Um, but I wanted to get into, uh, before we, you know, sort of wrap things up, um uh, Pat, you mentioned closing your laptop, right? Uh, I mentioned hot sauce. I want to know, and I'll share maybe a couple of mine too. Like what are some of the more perhaps like creative or outside of the box and more fruitful things that you've chosen to give up? I'll start with one of mine. Um, and this is one that's, that I've actually sort of continued in in a lot of ways. Um, Last year, I do most of the cooking in our house because I'm a foodie and I love the kitchen and I like to control what I eat. But um, I decided that I was going to make all my meals with less than 10 ingredients. So nine ingredients or less for meals. So I was thinking this is a good way to be simple. It's a good way to not just have like a pantry full of food that I don't eat. Made me much more intentional about shopping. much more like um, just simple in general, right? Um, So... And I've continued to do that. And, uh, it has really sort of changed my perspective on, on being a, a consumerist sort of guy. So that's something that was kind of weird outside the box, but bore some interesting fruit. I wonder if you guys have anything like that to share. Yeah, I
1: have one, uh, giving up eating healthy, not like what it seems, right? But a form of gluttony can be being too picky about what you eat and what you're served. And as somebody who's been in the fitness and health spheres for many, many years, I developed that very bad habit, right? Of just like, nah, doesn't, doesn't fit the diet right? Uh, and that's vicious. That's vicious. So uh, a good practice for me over the years, both in Lent and out of Lent, is I eat what I'm served, right? I don't go out of my way to eat French fries or anything like that, right? But I'm not going to say no thank you to a meal that somebody has prepared me just because it's doesn't fit the back rows or something like that. And I've gotten pretty good at that. Uh, but let me tell you, that's painful to do uh, at first, especially if you're somebody who's always been like very regimented about diet or something like that and that's something important to keep in mind like for a lot of people since you've been in fitness it's not hard to diet anymore it's hard not to diet right that's the painful thing to do uh, and especially if you can't not diet that might be exactly the sort of thing that you should think about giving up um, within reasonableness right so you don't develop viciousness in the other direction right mm-hmm. Yeah, viciousness
0: in the technical, moral, theological sense, right? Yes, right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the vice. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. Rob, how about you?
2: Yeah, I'm I, I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm, I'm I've been doing this a few years now. I've done Exodus ninety twice and things like that. Um, I'm I'm running out of stuff. To, <laughs> in, I'm, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of stuff um, like, but, you know, taking cold showers every day, fasting every day during Lent. These are not necessary for a fruitful Lent. But for me, I've found that at least the past year or so, I've been really been led in prayer to just um try to cultivate more silence. And part of that is not, I think, fasting. I know this is going to sound weird, but fasting from words. So like being much more mindful about my speech and even just whether it's detracting speech or kind of, you know, um calumny or slander, just being really conscious of like, not saying anything that's not charitable or necessary or truthful. So charity, truth, um, and, um, whatever the other thing I said, that those three conditions that that's going to be a really hard one for me, but that's something I'm, I like to focus on and also just getting ready a lot, trying to focus on getting rid of the noise. Um, I I've, I'm not on social media anymore, but, um, YouTube is still my addiction. <laughs> you know, I still like to watch YouTube videos and podcasts and things. So I think that's going to be something I'm going to try to focus on is just, is just not, not doing that and just reading a book instead or spiritual reading or just, or just having time to just be bored. Like we were in the eighties, you know, when before the internet and stuff, it, it's to just let your mind wander to just, to take a nap. Um, but, but, but focusing on, on speech and what's going into my ears and what's coming out of my mouth. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's, man, there's so many, so many interesting things that have just caused me to just think and be more intentional instead of just taking stuff for granted too. Like, I mean, cause that's part of it as well, um, is that you, you realize how much you take for granted and, and, um, when you take everything for granted, well, it just, it deadens gratitude. Uh, deadens that's, gratitude. that's why so, I
2: go camping, Matt. It's not cause I like camping. It's cause I like coming back to a hot shower and come I'm back mediocre. to <laughs> sleeping in your own bed.
0: Exactly. You know? Coming home and shaving—well, not shaving for <laughs> you guys, but um, but you know, so like things like one year I did no ice in my drink, right? And that was uh, that was tougher than I thought it would be. I think it's right?
2: it's important, like no little thi- nothing, even the littlest thing done with love. You know, I think Mother Teresa said that. You know, the, even little acts done with love are, is really meaningful to to christ we have to think of ourselves as little children not as big strong men you know we nobody who is not doesn't become like a little child can enter the kingdom of heaven so you know little children sometimes do little things and uh you know saint therese was a great saint but it's because she took this little way this this path of like being totally dependent and radical trust on god um so i think that's just something to keep in mind if you're not don't don't get discouraged from the start just Do little things like and and do secret things, too. That's something that you don't have to let people know what you're doing or broadcast it about, you know, what you're giving up for Lent. Just just do it in secret. And if it's a little thing, God will see it.
0: Yeah. So just on that on that note, um, you know, I also do a a morning radio show. and We do all kinds of Lenten segments. And I've made it a point over the past several years to never say what I'm giving up for Lent on the air until it's over with. Um, because I feel like that's a sort of like a weird virtue signal. Like, I think that, you know, especially if, I mean, like all of us have kind of external facing things that we've done through articles or media or videos or podcasts and, and there can be a real temptation in that to be like, well, let's look at the interesting thing that I'm doing in my spiritual life, you know, and just to say, no, I'm nobody needs to know. Um, it's except for probably my, my immediate family. Cause they're the ones who've got to call me on it. If I reach for the hot sauce. Mm. So how yeah. about you, Pat? Any final thoughts on that direction? No,
1: I, I like it. I think it's important, right, to to make sure that the thing that would otherwise be a good thing doesn't, doesn't become a vicious thing, which is it's easy to turn anything in that direction once you start virtue signaling and say, look at me, right? But at the same time, it does help to have those in fitness, we call them accountability buddies, right? Uh, and my wife is great at that. So she'll be knowing, but nobody else needs to, right? Mm-hmm.
2: I had a funny uh, thing, like I think a, a few years ago, like, it's hard on Ash Wednesday to be a jerk because you're a, you're an, an automatic hypocrite. Because if you have a big ash, big cross on your forehead and you, you curse out somebody who cuts you off or you, you know, you, you, uh, we're, we're kind of marked for a reason. I think that that's like something that people are new to like Catholicism or Lent is, you know, this idea, like Ash Wednesday, is like one of the most popular church days in the year, I think, because people want to get those ashes. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's motivated by, a, a you know, as long as it's followed by repentance and, and, uh, you know, knowing that the the purpose of the season, but I think it's interesting that we're just as more as Catholics were like marked with this cross that makes us very conspicuous in in public. And I, I actually get a little embarrassed by it, but I also think it keeps me cognizant of like, wow, people like watch people who are, you know, um, not Catholics or not even believers will see you and hold you to a higher standard because you have that you're marked by the, the ashes that make you a believer, you know?
0: Yeah. The reason I keep them on is because I never know if I'm going to be out in like the, the world, like at the gas tank and somebody who's been away from mass for like 20 years, will see the ashes and be like, ah, huh, let's up. I remember Lent. You never know. You never know. But I also used to refer to Lent in my, or Ash Wednesday, um, back when I was first Catholic in the, you know, the mid 2000s i used to call it catholic singles awareness day so like if you're out <laughs> my there, wife and i
2: met we met we had our first date on ash wednesday and she she always makes the point of saying i i didn't want to wash my ash off it was later in the day so
0: <laughs> yeah so so what you can do if in that previous now a lot of evangelical churches have gotten onto ash wednesday so it doesn't work as well as it used to but you say you know you're out there in the world and you see someone with ashes and no ring you can say hey would you like to go out and perhaps uh have one One, light snack or two light (laughs) snacks or a meal that uh, would not constitute two (laughs) snacks put together (laughs) with me so that's my little little tip there for the the single single watchers out there um so before we let you go uh we mentioned at the top of this that you guys have written and done a whole bunch of other things you've got web presence uh, we'll start with you, Rob. If people want to find some of the things that you've done uh beyond just your journey home episode and your written story, which you're at the Coming Home Network website, uh how can they get in touch?
2: Yep, yeah, the best way is through through my blog. It's uh as Matt mentioned, it's called Potter Familias. And I write about um faith, family, sexual integrity, manhood, um children, uh liturgical stuff. It's it's a you know, it's a good way to read um some stuff if you're bored. And also I have a contact form on there as well. So it's father of the family dot blogspot.com is my my blog where I do most of my writing. I've had some published articles and stuff, but that's a good way to get in touch. I love having new readers. I love, you know, just writing for the sake of people, maybe getting some good stuff to chew over and think about. So I'm not, not real big into fitness though. So Pat can probably fill that hole. um, (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Well, I'll
0: have you uh, linked in the show notes so people can head straight over there um, for that. And Pat, for you,
1: yeah, I'm sort of all over the place. Uh, but most relevantly for the audience here would be my Philosophy for the People channel. That's on YouTube. That's on iTunes. Really try to bring forth the Catholic intellectual muscle, right? So it is It is a general philosophy channel, but definitely through a, a Catholic lens, a Catholic paradigm. Uh, so yeah, head there. That's the most relevant place.
0: Again, linked in the show notes as well. Rob, Pat, thank you so much for the invite. This is great. I'm glad I got you guys together now. Something tells me this will not be the last conversation. No, I
1: hope not. This has been great, Matt. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Matt. Very cool. And thank you for watching this episode of Coming Home Network Presents. Uh, You can find our resources and especially our online community. If you want to be involved in discussions like this with people who are um, asking similar questions, go to community.chnetwork.com. Dot org of course the program made possible because of generous supporters um, who give to the work and help us to offer as many resources for free as possible to the people who are looking for help uh, if you want to join that crew you can go to chnetwork.org donate and check out especially the compass program i'm matt swaim director of outreach for the coming home network thank you for joining us again for coming home network presents we'll see you next time around